Good morning. Welcome to the fifth episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air um, with the AAVMC. I am Lisa Greenhill, Director of institutional research and diversity at the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges. And as I mentioned, this is Diversity on Air. Um, our show today will feature Ms. Patricia Lowry. Good morning. Good morning. And she is going to talk to us uh, about the history of diversity in veterinary medicine. She yes. can do it. <laughs> um, we are here at uh, the AAVMC's 50th anniversary celebration uh, annual conference in Washington, D.C., and we are recording now this Saturday morning, um, the day of our big gala tonight, and so we're going to take a little bit of time to uh, talk a bit about um, diversity over the span of the association, and um, I am delighted that uh, you are joining us. Today. I'm delighted to be here, and thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you. So, how did you get involved in veterinary medicine? Oh wow! Um, I, I I come through uh, a science background mm -hmm. um, early on um, as as an electron microscopist working with folks um, in pathology mm -hmm. uh, and mostly veterinarians uh, who were studying one oh, idiosyncratic something with one animal species or another uh, and uh, continued to do that through several institutions, Auburn, um, University of California, Davis, and then ending up at Michigan State. Uh, at that transition from Davis to Michigan State uh, was at a time that uh, was the late 70s, uh, and uh, Baki, uh, mm -hmm. part of the um, social justice civil rights uh, phenomena in education, was developing. But I continued to do. Um, electron microscopy, diagnostic uh, microscopy. As I moved from Davis um, to Michigan State, and my husband, I have to mention him in this process as well, um, is a veterinarian. And so uh, when we talk about workplace <laughs> and personal life, um, it has been embedded in veterinary medicine for most of my professional development. Great. So how'd you make that uh, that leap? That leap? So I'm guessing that the veterinarian husband had something to do with kind of not assuming. Well, yeah, I did just say I'm assuming. So what I'm going to what I mean is um, so you had this uh, professional um, um, moves and um, but you kind of moved into a different role working very yeah. specifically um, in veterinary medicine and in an academic veterinary medicine. So yeah. tell us a little bit about how that happened. About that shift? About that yeah, shift. I, as I mentioned, I was part of a team um, working in the college colleges of veterinary medicine, okay. both at Davis and uh, at Michigan State. Uh, and the transition um, caused or, or enabled me okay. to, to think about veterinary medicine in a lot of its aspects. And having had a husband who'd gone to vet school, we've been married during all that time and uh, his career development so that uh, I get, I, well, I got to live the experience. And so when I arrived at Michigan State um, and my husband was the, uh, first black faculty member to be in small animal medicine. Mm. Uh, I was housed um, at the Animal Health Diagnostic Laboratory uh, with another um, black faculty member whom I had known from our lives in Tuskegee. Uh, I had the opportunity to just meld all of those experiences together. And a very progressive dean who knew what my background was and my experiences at Davis uh, around social justice and said, here's the leap. I need you to come out of animal health and come into the dean's office. And I went, oh, no, 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 no. Um, 
that's not where my expertise lies. He said, oh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and for those of you who may know John Welser, uh, there is never a no. And so shortly after arriving, I did move into the dean's office. And I moved into the dean's office in the Office of Admissions. Uh, and it is there that I started to, to um, be specific and intentional about efforts towards um, diversity and inclusion. That was what he asked of me, and that was what I tried to deliver. So what type of initiatives have you um, been a part of or led during the very many illustrious years of your <laughs> career? Uh, you know, it's difficult to be reflective. And certainly this weekend for the 50th uh, celebration, uh, there have been lots and lots of memories and tr tributes that you want to pay to lots of folks who contributed um, to that growth, that professional growth mm -hmm. that I was um, able to, to demonstrate. Uh, I've mentioned John Welser. Um, I must also mention uh, Walter Bowie, mm -hmm. who was Dean um, of the College of Veterinary Medicine at Tuskegee, uh, and, and there were others. Um, but the Pew Project came along. First of all, uh, Dean Welser said, um, you're, you're going to these meetings and you're going to participate. Um, and um, Billy Hooper, uh, who is the consummate historian <laughs> and also the first executive director of AABMC, uh, was also part of a movement that came out of Purdue with Dean Stockton, and then that was called the Iverson Bell Symposium, mm -hmm. where one of Michigan State's first, um, well, the first black graduate uh, from Michigan State who was Iverson Bell. So Iverson Bell, Billy Hooper, and Dean Stockton had been working on a set of initiatives around admissions. And then John Welser comes along and says, you're going to be part of this group and everyone is going to make a contribution towards increasing the diversity uh, within the profession. So all of us come together and then it's the start of a movement. And this is in the late 70s um, and um, or early 80s by the time. And we, we have several um, activities. The, we moved the Iverson Bell Symposium from its locus um, at Purdue. Uh, it moved national, um, the first national one being at Ohio State, and that was Howard Williams who's, who supported that one, uh, and then on to Michigan State. Uh, and when it came to Michigan State, we really cranked up the volume because now there was momentum mm -hmm. and support. Several deans were there. And that effort actually laid the foundation for most of the things that happened nationally as we moved forward. <laughs> Other initiatives, I think I, 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 I really want to, to pay tribute to some of the things that Billy Hooper tried to do. You know, he, he always talks about everybody else's history. He doesn't talk <laughs> about his own history. And I know we, we've had an opportunity to visit with him when he's here. But Billy pulled together a consortium of folks. Um, again, the focus was students. Mm -hmm. But he pulled together a, a consortium of folks with ABMA and AAVMC. And he'll have to give you the years of that. Uh, and because he, know, he knows that he's chronicalized and it's, it's all embedded <laughs> here, uh, where we collectively talked about what can the two organizations do together around mm -hmm. admissions. And there was then talk about um, retention efforts. So you just don't recruit, you don't just sure. extend, but what do we do to create a culture within our institutions that support students when we are successful. And uh, shortly after that, um, we uh, were part 
of the Pew study that's also being discussed here. And I don't quite remember the date of the Pew study. Uh, late eighties. Late eighties, yeah. early nineties. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Dean Bowie, I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. um, was asked to lead one of the projects on uh, diversity within the profession and specifically diversity in enrollment. And I co-PI'd with him on that project. And that was exciting. So I guess if you ask for milestones uh, and initiatives, the Pew Project was historic in that um, 10 institutions mm -hmm. uh, raised their hands and said, we want to be part of this. And we did activities were that probably could be classified today as pipeline activities. Okay. And, but our concentration was in uh, the middle school years, grades five, six, and seven. We partnered with the American Association for the Advancement of Science, okay. AAAS, mm -hmm. because that's where all of the um, research had uh -huh. been done. And so why invent the wheel? Uh, you know, when it's already there and there are lots of projects uh, where there's base data uh, sure. that we could uh, compare. And um, they had survey instruments, which of course we knew nothing about, but they had been working with this population. And so we identified, the 10 schools identified middle schools or uh, at that point, perhaps and still some school districts, junior high, but five, six, and seven grades, five, six, and seven, because the literature suggests that's where decision making um, is begun or sometimes completed for, for youngsters. Uh, and so we developed in-school programs. Some mm -hmm. of them were after school, some of them were science fairs and, and speakers and those kinds of things in those grades. But it culminated, the activities were for a year, it culminated in a huge survey. And Lisa, you're going to love this because there's survey data. What you're not going <laughs> to love is that we we never actually fully published it. Uh, we we created the final report, and that of course was submitted, but we never really published the data. We shared it widely, mm -hmm. but we, we you, you can't push the button now in this digital age and, and pull it up. Perhaps we should do something about that still. Uh, but it examined the perspectives of this age group and the schools that were selected were supposed to be very diverse. It wasn't supposed to be skewed mm -hmm. one, one way or the other, uh, but uh, it was supposed to be very diverse around race. Uh, certainly during those ages, we didn't have to worry about much about gender in the sense that um, the population distribution was mm -hmm. such that that um, in in grades we were going to have almost equal numbers sure. of of young people um, in in various genders, um, and we looked not only at their perspectives and attitudes towards veterinary medicine, but their parents and their teachers, and so it was a multi level approach. If I recall, you're asking me to do that on a Saturday <laughs> morning, uh, 3,500 youngsters wow. participated in this study. study. Yeah, it was a very big study, which is why you're going to be really upset with me mm. when we finish this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, approximately uh, 250 to 300 parents mm. uh, and somewhere in the range of 200 uh, or slightly less than that teachers. Uh, now these are teachers that were engaged with the students, with the students. you know, okay. so, so there was a continuum of, of effort here. Uh, and the outcome of that was that um, they were asked, you know, what they thought about veterinarians and veterinary medicine uh, and whether or not they had an opinion about whether it was a worthy profession, comparing it with other mm -hmm. uh, professions, doctors, lawyers, etc. Uh, even policemen, teachers, etc. Sure. And so um, the, the tandem piece to that was the kids had to draw a veterinarian. Uh, and uh, that was almost as telling as the perspectives. Mm. To capture a summary in two bullets, maybe, veterinarians were well thought of for those who knew what they were. Mm -hmm. 
for the most part, they thought they were doctors for dogs and cats, you mm -hmm. know, kittens and puppies, um, and the, and fairly prestigious, you know, not as prestigious perhaps as they might hold um, their own personal position, um, and the drawings demonstrated kindness. Um, and the, the folks that we worked with at AAAS um, had done this study um, around science uh, before. And so they had a database that showed that students in this age group thought scientists were sci-fi things. They, they, you know, had stern glasses on and, you know, they were they're kind of wicked. And, and here we had the gentle, gentle doctor, the gentle doctor uh, and but rarely did they have a complexion oh. that uh, represented one that they were most familiar with. Mm. And so that, that was a big milestone for us. Uh, and out of that Pew study, um, I think Diversity Matters came, came along mm. uh, and that effort. And then many, many schools developed individual programs, some mimicked after um, the work that we had done with mm -hmm. you and others went further in uh, up the educational scale, but certainly the K through 20 pipeline um, was addressed uh, disproportionately, but certainly geographically across the country. Wow. That was a long response. That was great though. <laughs> and I'd love to see that data. Well, <laughs> But we do know that, you know, certainly programs like the Pew program is, you know, we're just, was just, I mean, it was a, a groundbreaking um, project and really kind of gave birth to a lot of things. And um, there are a number of programs now in existence that, you know, have even extended some of that work. Um, certainly there's a, um, the program, uh, Dr. Sam Miguel's program at Purdue and some of the work that she's doing mm -hmm. with, um, mm -hmm. Uh, elementary school and yeah, early her, education kids. Her NIH super, super yeah, grant. That's uh -huh. right. Yeah, that's yeah. outstanding work. It's that's really great done. work that's being published. Mm -hmm. And um, and then there's the that program. Uh, I think there's a program at university uh, at uh, Texas A&M that actually builds on her program and really extends to the middle yes. school yeah. um, uh, curriculum as well. So mm -hmm. um, so thanks for your. <laughs> early work that gave, well, the, uh, you know. Interesting, um, and, and to be expected, Texas A&M and Purdue were part, were of, part the, of the original the, the project. Schools, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell me, um, as you look back over these years, what's been the most shocking kind of um, in terms of development of um, diversity initiatives or um, lack of development in terms of, you know, what kinds of things kind of, um, surprised you yeah I, I i like i hmm, any sentence will do uh shocking is not quite a word i would use um i don't think surprise is even a word i think there's a kind of disappointment mm. and dissatisfaction mm. is probably and, and, I, and i don't want to smith it too much but there's some upsides and some downsides that we've not made the progress we wanted sure. um that's not a shock no okay that's not a shock. um it's a disappointment sure and we certainly aren't satisfied with that sure um and so the upside of that is that we haven't lost ground either yeah. uh, and so at, at a time when the demographics have really shifted in, in enrollments mm -hmm. in veterinary medicine uh, at a time when we've had peaks and valleys in the application uh, process or, or the numbers of applicants applying the actual percentage uh, and sometimes, um, depending on what year you're looking at, there's been very little variance in the actual numbers, the head counts mm -hmm. among those uh, who are underrepresented sure. in the profession. And so, I mean, it's not much to hang your hat on and to be certainly nothing to be proud of, but we've not lost gain. And so that would suggest to me that even though we know 
that at younger ages, those who are exposed to veterinarians find it a profession that they think is a nice profession and that these are good and gentle people. We've not done the seeding mm. that should be or could be done to not just like your veterinarian, but like them enough that you want to be one. Mm. You know? And so what do we need to do? And so Sandy's work, um, certainly at Purdue, helps um, bring out that um, she tells a story about the little boy who's reading all these books mm -hmm. about veterinarians and he loves the books and he's reading them all the time, but he shares with her, there's nobody that looks like him in the book. I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's sufficient that we put the picture in the book mm. that says to this little boy, this person looks like you. I, I, I really think we need to, to you know, to, roll up our sleeves essentially and help families understand the significance and importance of the role veterinarians play in society and that it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. It's it's a contribution. It is not just about puppies and kitties uh, or if you know enough about the species and you're watching your discovery channel and you're seeing veterinarians do all kinds of things with cockatoos, etc. It is that that isn't sufficient. Veterinarians play a significant role in the health of our populations across the globe. And it's not only worthy work, it's necessary work. Uh, and in the way that our colleagues in medicine have approached stimulating youngsters to believe they can go back into their communities and make healthcare contributions. I think the profession of veterinary medicine can do that as well. Uh, especially when we're working in urban and rural areas around uh, health issues, uh, health disparity issues around hypertension, mm -hmm. obesity, diabetes, etc. And so, uh, you know, I have I have a dream. How's that? <laughs> uh, I have a dream that um, the data suggest that it's not that folks who are underrepresented don't have pets. They have pets. They do. They're not necessarily using veterinary services in at the same uh, rate. And what if we could galvanize a project? How's this for you? You don't have enough projects? Please. <laughs> uh, what if we could galvanize a national project with lots and lots of partners uh, where the professions the health professions, when we're, we're, we're poised to do that anyway with our One Health initiatives. Sure. But, but what if uh, part of the script a physician might write uh, for a patient be that their exercise regime was to walk the dog that they have? <laughs> now, I would venture to say that the dog also needs the exercise. Uh, and what if there was a relationship between there. that veterinarian and and that health other health professional? Um, and so, what if we were sitting in our offices uh, of our veterinarians, uh, waiting for appointments when we got to the veterinarian? And certainly, shelters can also help with this effort. Uh, what if instead of those videos that were running on? heartworm and, and, and distemper, et cetera, are running on hypertension and, and diabetes mm. and obesity, mm. you know? And mm. so there would be a joint effort that, that showed that along with food, uh, food safety and, and dealing with brown spaces uh, in, in our communities mm -hmm. and, and then all those other okay. efforts, but a more collective, cohesive, mm -hmm. um, driven uh, approach that showed domestically at least. I know we do a fantastic job um, globally and internationally mm -hmm. around um, food safety uh, uh, and health, but domestically we've kind of missed that niche where the professions can, can come together. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. that, that, would, that would be a way I think that youngsters I'll bring it back to, to, to sure. the, the satisfactory question. Uh, that youngsters would see there is a contribution veterinarians are making 
to the community. Mm -hmm. um, they would come up with that understanding and therefore maybe wanted to be part of it because they always wanted to be a vet anyhow, you know? And so they're, they're making the contribution by coming back to their communities. They're already thinking Mm -hmm. about ways to, to, to interact mm -hmm. uh, and to be part of a bigger picture. And so it would only grow. It mm -hmm. would only grow. And as our population shifts, continues to shift, we've already had major shifts in, in big states like California, Texas, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. But this is going to happen all across the yeah. country. Mm -hmm. And so why not stimulate youngsters, not just to see themselves in a book, but to see the contributions that they're making to uh, society, society and mm -hmm. and and community health. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. I don't. Again, these were very long answers. <laughs> you didn't tell me to take only twenty seconds. <laughs> you know me well enough to know that I might not do that. So. Well, you know, we have made progress. And we haven't lost ground, and and there is some disappointment in not making more progress. Um, during these 50 years. Um, but what do you find encouraging about the work that's been done and um, about the progress that has been made? You know, uh, you and I in, uh, often, uh, and with others, have talked about you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and I think uh, in doing the, the work and, and trying to increase the diversity and with increasing the diversity, the excellence in the profession. I think we have to stay on message. And I think we're doing that. Um, I think the message is we need to be inclusive mm -hmm. uh, and it is in the profession's best interest to do so. So while as we will hear some of those complain about you're talking to the choir and I respond, the, the choir needs practice, you know, and we have that little repartee. Sure. I think our choir is growing. Yes. And I think that's the progress. Um, I, I think it, it probably is a misnomer to even call it a choir at this point. I think the congregation uh, to use the metaphor, um, is growing, uh, that wants to talk about that is not uncomfortable having the difficult conversations about where should we apply the effort. And it's not a where, it is how do we apply the effort everywhere mm -hmm. uh, in a continuous stream uh, without uh, the pressure of facing a failure as such, mm -hmm. but just knowing that progress comes in increments, yeah. uh, it's a slow process, uh, and to have the patience to stay in the fray long enough um, to stimulate others, yeah. to stimulate that parent, to stimulate that yeah, teacher, sure. to support this youngster's dream, sure. uh, to, to be uh, a veterinarian. And maybe we would even have a competition every spring <laughs> that would have each youngster bring another youngster uh, <laughs> to a, a veterinarian or to a program um, that um, would also stimulate their interest. And at the lowest denominator, expand their horizon and understanding of the contributions that veterinarians make. I think you'll remember once before, I, I wanted to start a, a campaign of, have you hugged your veterinarian today? <laughs> I wanted big billboards <laughs> that said as you drive up the freeway, say, have you had your, have you had your veterinarian today for the contributions mm. they make to not society. just animal health, but society. Yeah. So how are there, how do you, um, how do you see the challenges that we face in doing diversity work in the profession now compared to, to then what, you know, are the challenges significantly different now? I would say no. What's been your experience as you go around the country? Um, I mean, I think that the delivery of the message um, gets tweaked, mm -hmm. you know, um, depending on your audience. And um, I think that our um, expanded focus on not just diversity and kind of this very structural, like, let's count people and make sure that there is a representation framework. Um, I think that we've, we've moved to something broader to say, well, 
okay, mm -hmm. we need the people there, mm -hmm. we want the people here, mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that this is an environment that not only supports having them here, but actually supports them and everyone else as well. And mm -hmm. I think that that is um, um, something I think that in diversity work in general is an evolution that it we've is. moved to, you know, mm -hmm. towards in the last, certainly in the last 10, 15 years, but certainly even more so when we think, um, you know, over the lifespan of, of this organization. Mm, yes. Uh, and and I, I thought you were also going to say something about uh, how we've grown in our inclusive work Absolutely. as well. Um, yes, we started out where this was a discussion around race. Uh, then it became a discussion around gender. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, the work that's being done now also recognizes that um, faith-based diversity oh, sure. is as important um, we we geography you, that's what's, <laughs> that's my pause we just <laughs> talked about geography uh, before coming on air um, but uh, recognition and expansion of inclusion around our LGBTQ communities mm -hmm. um, and other dis disabilities on, you know and and recognizing that we're not just one thing, any of us, that we sure. all, we have multiple identities and all of those identities have a set of experiences mm -hmm. that are embedded in each of us. And we bring all of ourselves um, into the workplace, into the profession um, to, to make contributions sure. um, that broaden the potential of the profession. Yeah, I mean, I think that this recognition of um... Um, intersectionality and multiple identities is is certainly something that's different and and I think that um, at least in my work I do see people kind of struggle to wrap their head around um, that mm -hmm. um, in the sense of well okay but which one comes first <laughs> <laughs> we laugh but, you know <laughs> you know well which one comes first and mm -hmm. I just I mean I remember um, you know that uh, I guess during the 2008 election that that uh, mm -hmm. a veterinary colleague came to me and they made an assumption about my political leanings. Mm -hmm. First of all, they just made an assumption. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was, you must be like so tortured trying to decide between Hillary and Obama. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm not tortured. Mm -hmm. and, and he said, and these individuals are veterinarian, and I mean, this happens in veterinary medicine and, and, and certainly external to it as well, but it was just like, you're not tortured? No, I'm good. I'm like, <laughs> I'm good. There are policy issues that I've been focused on, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that, that this issue of um, background and, and certainly geography as well mm -hmm. as socioeconomic status, um, you know, class is, um, mm. I think, Oh. the new diversity frontier mm -hmm. um, that we're mm -hmm. dealing with. And um, mm -hmm. in our applicant work, our most recent survey, we found that nearly 30% of applicants, um, almost 30% of, of this current cycle of applicants um, were either Pell Grant recipients or Pell eligible. Um, and that's a pretty, I mean, that dwarfs, frankly, our, um, our male <laughs> applicant population, and it dwarfs our um, students, our applicants of color um, mm -hmm. as well. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, that would be kind of like the, the next big um, um, diversity group, um, mm -hmm. you know. And so I think that the work is evolving mm -hmm. um, and helping people understand that all of these things coexist. Um, I think is the, the challenge um, that we face now that maybe um, we hadn't gotten to at the launch of AVMC, certainly. So, yeah. so the work is changing. The, the fundamentals are still the same, but just mm -hmm. kind of what our, our understanding of humanity yeah, was, is different. I was about to say that, that we, we, we might have entered the work or <clears throat> entered the room uh, through one window. Mm -hmm. uh, but as we get in there and begin to, to need around and our learning edges begin to change, we, we learn more about ourselves. Sure. Uh, therefore, we are poised to learn more about others. We realize you're not tortured. 
No, because you're not one today and one another. The next day, you are all of you every day. And, mm -hmm. and we need to treat our colleagues um, and our students just that way. Yeah. They bring all of themselves um, to our classrooms um, and our programs. And uh, that's especially true when we're talking about uh, the pipeline, mm -hmm. you know, that um, this is a welcoming profession. That's the challenge. Mm. You know, how do we do that? How mm. do we say, not only are we doing good work uh, in our communities, but we welcome you to join us. Yeah. I think that's an important message mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to also put out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So looking forward, mm. um, as you know, um, our motto for our uh, anniversary is 50 and forward mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. for the next 50 years what advice would oh. you give us um you know i never think about giving advice <laughs> really <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I, I i think well the last statement i said i think is, is sure. probably an important one not just come um but be part of that progress for the next 50 years. We want you. More importantly, we need you. Mm -hmm. And we hope that we provide a sense that you're welcomed uh, in this process. Uh, and uh, I mean, these are simple words, um, but at the same time, I, I think it's important. But I think the profession has a role as well I think the profession can not ever back off of tooting its own horn. Mm -hmm. It too has to send the message to the general public um, of the contributions yeah. that the profession makes to everyday life. Uh, and the two efforts together, uh, stimulating youngsters to be willing to be part of it in a profession that's singing its own praises mm -hmm. um, will help others adjust their own attitudes and perspectives about uh, this this wonderful full profession that I've certainly been part of for the last um, 45 almost well 50 years of, of, of my professional life the other um, I, I think important advice and i'll use your word on this for those of us who are um, in the vineyard working mm -hmm. on this is patience mm -hmm. you know um it, yeah you wanted it yesterday and and what was it about what i said you didn't get you know no 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 we have to be people where they are uh, and every person that stops to listen is a gift. And it is a, an effort that is built on building relationships, one person, one activity, one event at a time. And so the, the, the need, and I have to be reminded, I know I have to practice what I preach sometimes, um, but to have the patience and to take time out when, when it's appropriate to take time out, but to stay there on message um, that uh, this is in society's best interest and the profession's best interest. And it's a worthy, worthy endeavor um, and, a, and a wonderful profession to be part of in the next 50 years as well. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining me. Oh, well, this was uh, quite, interesting for me and enjoyable <laughs> but i certainly appreciate the opportunity and the invitation thank you thanks for joining us mm -hmm. so uh at the end of our episode um you will see a short video that features um dr billy hooper um who ms lowry referenced um early on in the show um at our uh, annual diversity committee meeting, he uh, made some comments that also kind of referenced some really major milestones in the history of not only AAVMC, but also um, the effort to increase diversity in veterinary medicine. And so I will be um, adding those comments to this show. 
getting started. Some 50 years ago that you're celebrating now, we only had 18 schools of veterinary medicine. And our student body, as I told you, pretty much was a reflection of my own experience. At the, in those first few years, four people stepped forward to present our focus on minority issues and ultimately where you are today. One of those was Dr. Walter Bowie at Tuskegee University, who is deceased. The second one was Dr. Eugene Adams, who just recently, a couple of weeks ago, passed away. The third one, though, was a white ring, Dr. Jack Stockman at Purdue. And the fourth one was a uh, African-American veterinarian who was a graduate of Michigan State University, Dr. Iverson Bell. And he had surfaced as a major professional leader. He served as vice president of the AVMA. He served as president of the Indiana VMA. He was involved in academic affairs from K through 12. And those four people, all now deceased, essentially over a five-year period, began to raise the issue of minority recruitments, largely focused on African Americans at that time, uh, and what we might do to that effect. Dr. Bowie introduced the first resolution almost 45 years ago that would cause this organization to give some attention to minority recruitment. The deans rejected <coughs> that uh, motion at that time, and I was present and heard that happen, but all it did was motivate those few key leaders to work and try even harder. And Tuskegee University, Bowie and uh, Adams clearly led that effort from that area. But Dr. Iverson Bell, the practitioner, and Dr. Jack uh, Stockton kind of led the entire academic community, and all of you recognize that through your current Iverson Bell uh, activity. About 40 years ago, though, the deans decided that they needed a committee on minority affairs. That was the very first committee, AABMC committee, established or authorized minority affairs. Uh, it had only a very few representatives, half a third of what was in the business room at that time. But one person stood out and uh, became the visible leader, and that was Dr. Pat Lowry. Uh, Dr. John Welser, who will be recognized tomorrow night as the leader in veterinary medicine, was the dean at Michigan State at that time, and he said when he asked, uh, made the announcement that they would have some focus on minority affairs at Michigan State, the first person to knock on his door and offer their services and offer their leadership was Dr. Pat Lowry. Pat was the leader of that organ, that committee for years and years. She was the person who said, we need data and information. And initially the deans collectively rejected that and refused to allow the collection of data on students and minority students at that point. Pat worked under the table to start that effort and collect that information. And within a few years, we had added that to the comparative data survey. And we now have good data for the last what, 35 years, I suppose, with Pat. In addition, Pat was there uh, to move us to a national symposium or meeting on uh, minority affairs. And the first national Iverson Bell Symposium was held in 1988 at Ohio State University, and Pat was there. The next year, the next symposium, just 29 years ago now, was held at Michigan State. And all of us in veterinary medicine heard for the first time the word diversity. 
and it came from Pat Pat. Uh, Pat was the one who introduced the concept of diversity beyond racial diversity to the larger issues that you have been addressing here and led that effort and called our attention to it and it has been a part of our heritage and activity since that time. She was then next very much involved in a 1993 symposium, our first national symposium on and workshop on diversity other than the Iverson Bell. And she was visible and a leader there. When we had the uh, Pew study in the 1988s, early 1990s, the deans collectively said that some significant part of that $5 million proposal must be spent on addressing minority and diversity issues. And because Walter Bowie was still the dean at Tuskegee at that time, the deans asked him to undertake that effort. Dr. Bowie said, I will accept the uh, visible leadership of that, but I will not do anything unless Pat Stormont, or Pat Lowry, excuse me, I worked with Pat Stormont for many years, <laughs> my mind's going. Pat Lowry will lead that effort. So Pat led the major research effort on minority affairs and diversity in the early 1990s, working with the American Academy of, 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 of Academy Science, Science. But in that regard. And while her study has never published in a, a referee journal, it served throughout the 1990s as the major basis for our efforts in minority and diversity efforts. Part of those efforts led by Pat through those many years finally led in the late 1990s or 2000, the acceptance by the American Veterinary Medical Association of diversity affairs, minority affairs, as a major issue for the profession. Just 15 years ago, the profession accepted what Pat, Pat had been working for, for so, and with AAVMC, obviously, for so many, many, many years. And she still continues that effort today. One of the things she said that I thought captures Pat in a major way, when you were discussing Plum Island, she said, let's reach out and make them a part of us. That has been her, her mode of operation for these many years. It's not to just address her colleague here from Purdue, or this room here, but think about minority affairs and diversity issues in the larger national context and format. Uh, and then to not only lead those efforts, but work behind the scenes consistently to uh, achieve that. So I think where you are today, as I see this, you all owe a tremendous debt to Pat. She has been there in the trenches for over 40 years. She has been the major leader and visible leader of this effort for those 40 years. And when I saw on the program this morning that she was being recognized by some scholarship activity, I could not have been more proud. And I said to myself, if the moderators will allow me, I have got to say this, stand up and say this. So I congratulate Pat, obviously, but more than that, and in a larger sense, I congratulate all of you. I know that you are frustrated. I know that you feel there is still a long way to go. And from your discussions of things like microaggression, which was a new word to me, totally a new word to me today, I know that there are still budding issues, surfacing issues, that you must continue to address. But I would leave you with the thought that all of your efforts in doing everything you do, you stand on the shoulders of some very significant people, uh, Walter Bowie, Eugene Adams, Jack Stockton, Iverson Bell, and Pat Lowry. And I would want you to applaud those efforts.
If you're also interested in more information about the history of diversity in veterinary medicine and specifically in academic veterinary medicine, mm -hmm. you should definitely pick up a copy of diversity, Navigating Diversity and Inclusion in Veterinary Medicine from Purdue University Press. Um, Dr. Hooper, as well as um, Pat and myself, and Dr. Cipriani and Dr. San Miguel, um, all uh, are authors in that book. And Dr. Hooper's chapter um, really goes into a lot of detail about mm -hmm. this subject. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really just um, um, a great read. Um, and I learn something every time I, I review yes, it. So definitely pick up a copy of that. Um, yes. I, you know, thank you for, for mentioning um, our book, our, our work, <laughs> a, a work of love, um, because that too was a milestone and then yeah. I don't want to, but also um, the, in those chapters are, there's recognition of other programs across the Absolutely. country, um, the Velvet Bound program at Michigan State uh, that also has a science club component uh, for elementary school kids, the Cornell program, et Absolutely. cetera. And so there too, you can learn more Absolutely. about efforts across the country. Yes, so that is um, again available at Purdue University Press, but it's also available um, likely on your local online bookstore, which I guess isn't local, but local on your keyboard now. So um, with that, we will bring this episode to a close. The next episode of Diversity and Inclusion on Air will feature Dr. Stacy Pritt, current president of the Women's Veterinary Leadership Diver uh, Development Initiative, um, and that will be on March 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So join us then, live or later. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.